0: Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. On today's show, we have Gary Dolgen, who is nice enough to stop by the studio to talk with us about his campaign for Circuit Court Bench here in Hillsborough County. I've known Gary for uh, quite a while. We've actually uh, traveled the world together. We went to France some, what was that, five, six, seven years ago?
1: Eight years ago in 2012.
0: 2012 to go teach the the French bar about uh, American or at least Florida family law. And uh, suffice to say, I I probably spent the greater majority of my time listening to Gary teach me as well. He is, I believe, a board-certified family law attorney. Uh, he's running for the circuit court bench here in Hillsborough County. What group number? Group thirty-one. All right, and who is your opponent? I have
1: two opponents: Scott Bonavita and Greg Green.
0: Okay, so you were the last of those three to come on my show, but by no means the least. I'm happy to have closed out a group as far as interviewing all the nominees. Uh, uh, now, I know your office, if I if I'm correct, is over on Kennedy, right? No, it used to be. Used to be, okay.
1: Right now, my office is downtown at 625 East Twig Street, which is uh, walking distance to the courthouse which is wonderful. Of course, the last few months, that really hasn't mattered.
0: Yeah, I haven't been in a courthouse Uh, in quite some time.
1: But I love being downtown, and and we've got a few free parking spaces for visitors, and so that makes it easier for your clients uh, as far as coming downtown.
0: Now, is this your first time running for the bench?
1: No, I've run several times for the bench, and the last time I ran was four years ago. I made the runoff in November, came in second place. And uh, so we're going to work a little harder this time to come in first.
0: Well, you know, uh, logic would tell me that you can get better at it as you do it more. But this this campaign has been a different animal from every other campaign, I think, in the history of time due to the pandemic. So a lot of the strategies and lessons learned from past campaigns kind of fall flat now because you're not able to go out and speak with large groups and do all the things that you, know, you might have otherwise done, and, or at least had done in previous campaigns, is that?
1: Well, you, you are so correct as far as you know, nobody expected what our world was going to um, be like these last several months, so you need to be creative. And um, you know, one of the things that um, I did um, initially when this started is that uh, I would interview um, on Zoom and on Facebook Live, um, uh, members of the community who could provide a public service, uh, such as I interviewed uh, Dr. Marlene Bloom, a child psychologist, who gave advice to uh, parents on how to help their kids as they're doing online school at home. And she basically said, uh, you know, don't worry about uh, let, let let the kids relax a little bit. Yeah, they're they're, they're going to be fine, and especially the younger they are. <laughs> this isn't gonna a be blip right on there, the radar yes. sure yes i interviewed dr uh cynthia uh wood uh who gave advice you know she's a pediatrician and you know what parents would be concerned about as far as their kids keeping their kids healthy and uh also talked to her about uh um you know the the, the rareness but uh you know of kids getting coronavirus or you know the, you know, just the p- parents get really scared about that and just get, she was able to give some some perspective. I interviewed Tampa City Councilman Bill Carlson, who's endorsed my campaign uh, as far as the resources that the city uh, can offer because people throughout the these last several months, people have been hurting financially, even people who've never before have gone through pain financially um you know businesses being 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 shut down and and uh lawyers uh you know clients aren't wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be calling you in the middle of uh coronavirus to start a a divorce or uh or any other type of legal proceeding you learn from this there are more important things in life sometimes uh uh when when something like this happens
0: right right um now where are you from originally
1: um, I have been in Tampa since I was two years old. Okay, so I'm basically a Tampa native, but I was born in Sarasota. Um, oh, so Florida boy. Uh, well, my parents were from New York. Okay, and be um, uh, born in New York or born in Sarasota? No, I was born in Sarasota. Okay, I was born in Sarasota. Um, my uh, uh, parents came to uh, Gainesville after my dad graduated from dental school. Oh, your dad was a dentist. His, yes, periodontist. He was Tampa's first periodontist.
0: Oh, I, she probably knows my my in-laws. My Dina's parents and family are all orthodontists. And
1: yes, I know. I know that he did, and I mentioned that to Dina when, when we That's right. when we were um, overseas. And so, my dad's first job was at the Alachua County Health Department. Uh, my brother was born there. Uh, Sanford Dalton, who's in Tampa, he's a near nose, and throat surgeon. Oh, wow! And um, then my dad opened up a general practice in Sarasota, where I was born, and then he decided he wanted to get his specialty in periodontics. So
0: we, periodontics is what specifically? Gum, gum disease. Gum disease, okay.
1: So I went back up to New York, where he uh, uh, went to Columbia, got his periodontics wow. degree. And then he decided he wanted to open up his practice in Tampa. His parents were retired to St. Pete. Uh, my mother um, taught at Planned High School, American History. So uh, then she got her doctorate in education when I was uh, in elementary school at the University of Miami. And she became a professor at the University of Tampa. And she ended up being a vice president of uh, community college in Virginia before she retired and came home to take care of grandchildren.
0: And you rebelled and went into the law. Were you the first attorney in the family or...?
1: Um, and my, my brother is a surgeon, my sister is an engineer. So uh, <laughs> I couldn't stand the side Is there any like
0: is there any like uh you know artists or is there <laughs> is everybody like at the top of their academic field? You know, my parents were the first
1: uh in their families to get a college degree. Their parents were immigrants.
0: What is Dolgen?
1: Um, uh Dolgin is from Russia. Okay. Although I was told yesterday by my mother, who's 85 years old, was her birthday. She was telling me that we had a much longer name when we were. That's usually the way that works out. But 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 when when you come over uh, uh, here, so on both sides, you know, my mother was telling me yesterday how her father came over here at 12 years old by himself on the boat. Oh wow! Um, Worked in a uh, in a laundry. Matt seven days a week, uh, never made more than $75 a week, but made sure that my mother and her brother went to college. My mother lost her mother when she was 14 years old to breast cancer, and um, uh, my mother and my uncle uh, uh, went went to college on my dad's side. my, My grandmother came here as a teenager. She had eight siblings, so one sibling would come over at a time from Austria. Didn't know English. Taught herself English. She and my grandfather owned a candy store. My uh, dad and aunt lived in the in the back with them. They worked seven days a week, and they always said to you know my my parents learn from their parents, get an education. Nobody can take your education away from you, and so. Uh, uh, my my parents are it's 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 the typical American dream. And Is your dad still around? Or my, okay. my my dad passed away in in 2009. He and my mother were enjoying a a trip overseas, Vietnam, Cambodia. Oh wow! And my dad got sick in Bangkok and passed away in Bangkok. Thailand. Really? Yes. Yes. Wow. So and he was still he was was my, it a viral type thing um, or a? he had a pulmonary embolism? Oh my gosh! Uh, he was a week shy of 78 years old. He even called me from the hospital because he was still practicing one day a week. His patients loved him, and he loved being a periodontist. And um, he's, he called me. sounded okay. He said, would you call my office and postpone my patients? I'll, be, I'll probably be an extra week before, before I can get back. So it was, it was very shocking. It was very shocking.
0: I mean, for them to be traveling, especially that type of trip in their mid to late 70s, is pretty impressive.
1: My mother still travels uh, overseas before this coronavirus, and, and um, uh, my dad, um, what, what we believe is that on the long plane flight over, yeah. that he, he clotted in his, in his leg. Uh. Um, and so, uh, um, but to this day, people come up to me and say, you know, your dad was my uh, periodontist. Uh, we, we, we loved him. Uh, you know, in my last campaign, when a voter came out from voting, came up to me and said... I voted for you and I have something in my wallet that I've had in there for the last 30 years and I think you might like it. It's my dad's business card. Oh yeah. And so I gave it to my mom who started crying and
0: um I've got my dad my dad was a biology teacher but when he retired he cleaned houses and he had these little business cards made up for house cleaners. I got his business card in my wallet so um definitely a nice little trinket to have there with you.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Um so so then most of your high school and elementary education was here in Tampa?
1: Yes, I went to Gorey Elementary School. Okay. I went to Wilson Junior High and Plant High School. I had wonderful teachers. In fact, um, my fifth-grade teacher, April Stone, was the guest of honor at my kickoff campaign. Oh, wow. And four years ago, she was my guest of honor along with my eighth-grade English teacher from Wilson, Bertha Kemp. Um, Mrs. Kemp was very sick at that time, but she came... my reception she stood up even though uh, she had difficulty doing so she passed away a few years ago and i was honored to be one of the people who gave her eulogy um, at the 34th street church of god where she was uh, uh, a member for many years well that's
0: impressive to have people uh that far back in your life to uh stand up and vouch for you you know in in this setting that's 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 nice um so after plant, where did you go to college? I went to Emory University in Atlanta. Oh, okay. And How'd you I, find that? How'd you like Atlanta?
1: I loved Atlanta. I loved Emory and just had some great experiences uh, at Emory. I majored in accounting, but I really loved um, politics. I uh-huh. uh, loved my political science classes. I uh, was able to intern on Capitol Hill. Uh, got an internship with the governor's office in, in Georgia and... Um, We had a distinguished professor at Emory, uh, former President Jimmy Carter. Oh, wow. And so after he lost— Were you in one of his classes? I was in his very first class. Oh, wow. Um, And uh, He's
0: kind of a hero of mine. Uh, You know, I think he (laughs) is—let me think how to put this, and obviously not anything that you need to comment on, but— He was a moral icon, one of the last moral icons, I could say, holding that office. Where, you know, there's been good presidents since then for different reasons, but with Carter, he just was an earnest, good man. And I know there's problems, and you can go back and recriminate his time, you know, the gas shortages and all these different things that happened, but I just have always been so impressed, especially since he got out of office, all of the things that he's done with building houses. And well, that,
1: that's that's the thing. You know, while he was president, obviously you have a difference of opinion as far as, depending on your political persuasion of how he did as president. But what I think everyone agrees on is his service to mankind after he left the White House, uh, eradicating uh, diseases, habitat for humanity. humanity. And so um, when he was... Um, at Emory, you know, I was uh, I was a college journalist, yeah. so I got to interview him, cover. He had a Middle East peace conference. That you co- got to interview him? Yes,
0: just you one on one.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna continue this story. Okay, go ahead. Further. Sorry, uh, I'm getting excited. Uh, go ahead. He he became best friends with President Ford personally. Oh they wow, they were opponents, so he would have President Ford come to Emory, and co-chair a nuclear arms conference with him, and also a Middle East peace conference. So I got to meet both President Carter and President Ford, as well as members of their respective cabinets who came to participate in the conferences. And then when um, I was a junior, I invited President Carter to my dorm for dinner. And it took a year to get a response. But then I get a call, President Carter would like to accept your invitation. Oh, wow. And he came to my dorm for dinner, and I served him... What I now call presidential lasagna. Oh man, with Oreo ice cream with crushed up Oreo cookies. That was before we had the ice cream, which was crushed up. He spent two hours with me and my dorm mates, and he spoke about public service and giving back to your um, community. And um, it was just—I mean, to be—is there any to recordings sit, of it? Or um, don't I don't. I don't have a recording. He's still of it. alive, right? He hasn't he's passed. Still he's still alive. Here,
0: he's, just just here's a free piece of campaign advice. See if you can have Jimmy Carter help you, <laughs> you, you announce you
1: before the election. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyway, uh, well, uh, to, to to close to close on it, I always wanted my kids to be able to meet him, and so very proud of my kids. I have three uh, three. Children. I
0: I've, I remember when we were in France. Not to cut you off, but I remember you talking a lot about your kids and. Very interesting children. If I if I called your daughter like a model or
1: my my, some, my daughter was a model. She has a uh, now she uh, works with Brandy Melville. Uh,
0: she uh, all, the over the, all the housewife the housewife of all over the world. Beverly, all, no, is that who I'm thinking of? Brandy Melville. I may be no, thinking of it. Brandy Melville is a young women's clothing store. Oh, okay, so my it has
1: locations all over the world, and, and my daughter has responsibility for the stores. And she opened up a store in China in Shanghai. Oh my God! In Hong Kong. Um, in Sydney, Australia. Uh, She's in New York now because she can't be overseas um, right now. And she just reopened their store in Miami. But her twin brother, my son Corey, is a public service scholar at Florida State University. He's going to graduate in December. And my youngest son, Ari, is going into his junior year at plant. Well, in any event, um, after President George H.W. Bush passed away, he and Carter are the same age, I thought to myself, you know, and President Carter you know, had uh, pancreatic cancer, I said he may not have much more time to live, and I always wanted my kids to be able to meet him. So I wrote a letter to him, and um, I told him about my kids, reminded him about how he spoke about public service, and that my son was a public service scholar at FSU, and I've done everything I can you know, to be active in my community, but I'm really proud of my son. So I get a call from the church where he um, does Sunday school uh, until recently every Sunday, but obviously not not now. Sure. Um, and and um, the woman at the church said to me, look, President Carter's not doing one-on-one meetings anymore unless you're like a president. No yeah. offense, he's 94 years old. But if you want to see him, come to church, and your kids will get to meet him and Mrs. Carter. And you've got to get here early because there will be a crowd, etc. And so I took my kids on Martin Luther King Day weekend in 2019, and um, um, and the lady at the church said to my son, Corey, I am giving you my seat in the front row next to President Carter because of your public service. Oh, wow. And so I'm very proud of my son because halfway through the service, he let my younger son, he traded seats, and they made a big deal um, of, of saying, look, please do not shake President Carter's hand because we don't want him to get the flu. Right. He's 94 years old. So President Carter comes out to my son, Ari, and extends his hand to Ari. And my son says, "Uh, Mr. President, they said we're not allowed to shake your hand. And President Carter said, it's okay, you can shake my hand. Oh, wow. Wow. So Did you get pictures of that at least? Um, we, got, we have a picture of all of us with President and Mrs. Carter. Oh, wow. And That's also, also on that day, just by chance, Congressman John Lewis, the civil rights icon, oh, for sure, yeah. um, was there. Oh, this, wow. This, this, what a this, special day. This, this is what really was. Martin uh, Luther King Day. It was Martin Luther King Day weekend. Oh, my God. I go into the restroom, the men's restroom, this small church in Plains, Georgia, before the service starts. And I look and I go. Senator Booker? Oh, Booker's Cory Booker, Booker was there, there too. He um, goes, yeah. And then the bathroom stall opens. Congressman Lewis? <laughs> I said, what are you gentlemen doing here? And they said, probably the same reason you are. We wanted to come meet President Carter. And um, and um, I said, you know, Senator Booker, my son's name is Cory. He's right outside. I'm sure he'd love to meet you. Yeah. you. And Senator Booker said, um, I am the king of selfies. Let me have your cell phone camera. Took a picture of, of us together. And it was just, um, it was just a wonderful. Um, That's such a great uh, thing for your warning. children to. Yes, and and my kids, it was just such a. And, and the nice thing about President Carter is this friendship with President Ford, the uh, the bipartisanship of that, and also you know you see that also with um, the Bushes and and Bill Clinton close, close close friendship. You know, I'm in a nonpartisan race for judge, and so. It's so and, and and so what I always love to see is when the, there is, um, uh, nonpartisanship uh, between because uh, we have the most wonderful country that 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 that, that, that you can have. And um, uh, last time I, I campaigned, you had um, there were two neighbors and they both had opposite candidate signs on their on their front lawns. And I asked each of them if I could put my campaign sign in front of their lawn, and they each you know, pointed to their neighbors. And I said, you know, I know you guys disagree on everything, but there's one thing I'd like you to agree on. And that is, is that if your candidates had a really close election against each other, that you would trust me to be the neutral judge to help make a uh, decision. And both of them really liked that. Like and, that and it yeah. was a way of explaining to them the importance of our judicial branch of government, which is, which is independence and free of bias, I mean we all have our biases, but nonpartisanship um, to be able to uh, make that fair decision without taking politics into consideration. Because, you know, a common question that people ask you when you're campaigning for judge, what's your political party or who are you for for president? And so we, it's our responsibility to educate that this is a nonpartisan race um, we're not allowed to discuss that because we need to maintain um, our our um, uh, impartiality. And the sign of a good judge is sometimes having to make a decision that we might not agree with personally. Following but the we law have for to sure. Follow the law. Yeah. A lot of times, I know Josh, you've heard this, where a judge might say, "You know what? I don't like this what I'm going to have to rule on here, but I got to follow the law." And if you don't like what the law is, call your legislator. Judges don't make the law. We interpret it. We enforce
0: it. So uh, getting back into the timeline, after Emory, where did you go for law school? Uh,
1: well, first I worked as an accountant in Washington, oh, you did. D.C. Okay, yes, for uh Worked for a big eight accounting firm, Touche Ross, which okay. is now, I believe, where they Deloitte Touche now. Maybe the, the accounting firms have shrunk. I just wanted to be able to earn some money after um, college. And uh, then I went to University of Florida Law School.
0: Oh, wow. So uh, what years were you there? From 1987 to 1990. Okay. All right. Uh, And how was that experience for you?
1: Well, um, law school is difficult. I liked college better. Yeah. Um, I remember um, sitting in the law library when uh, the football games were about getting ready to start. Oh, sure. And feeling like you were the odd man out. Yeah. Yeah, but at least I had my other classmates there. I'd always try and take a break for at least an hour to go watch some of the game. Yeah. But now when I go back to visit the law school, I take what I call a victory lap around the law library and see everybody studying hard and say to myself, thank God I don't have to do this. Yeah, you're on the other side of it. But what, what made what was most enjoyable about law school was after getting over the hump of the first year and a half in my third year, I was uh, a certified legal intern at the state attorney's office. Open in Gainesville. To, yeah, I got to do my first um, uh, jury trials um, under the supervision of, of of you know the lead attorney in the misdemeanor um, division. And what also made my third year very happy is that I met my future wife the previous summer. Um, so was she I, a gator too? Or I, no, I met her when I was home during okay. during during the summer. I actually met her at. Um, a singles party. But she was there with a date, and she was dating the brother of one of my law school classmates. So I said to her, why do you come to a singles party with, with, with a date? Yeah. And um, uh, I didn't know that she had a date there on that night, and I asked her out a few days later, and she said she said no um, to me first, but then a month later, when she uh, ended the relationship with, with uh, him... You want to know if the offer was still open. So the lesson in life is, a door may close initially, but you n- never, never know, know if it reopens. Open well, up again So then. here, here we are at
0: the in the doorway again. So of... we're
1: going on 30 years.
0: Oh wow, that's that's great. Now, uh, when you left the uh, when you left Gainesville, did you work up there initially, or did you come back here? Or...
1: Came back, came back to Tampa during the summer while I was studying for the bar. Um, I did an internship with Channel Eight. And worked with uh, Mark Straussman and Wes Sargentson. Okay. And while I was studying for the bar, and everyone at Channel Eight said, "Unless you're Gail Searns or Bob Height, practice law." Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got my first job was as a prosecutor. I was at the Manatee State Attorney's Office. Oh, really? Office. Yes. Okay. And um, Earl Moreland was this, was was the state attorney. There was a recession when I got out of law school. There weren't any openings in Tampa, but obviously I wanted to work in I Tampa.
0: love Manatee County, but I love practicing criminal law down there. I love practicing family law down there. Uh, Tom Krug, who I went to Stetson with, he was a quarterback for Notre Dame. He ended up marrying Dick Vitale's daughter. Uh, Dick Vitale, as, yeah. I'm sure, as I'm sure you're aware, is a local celebrity who, who lives down there, and he got on the bench, Tom, very early on. Uh, but it, it, there's a different vibe down there. I don't know if that's been your experience, but it's a lot more laid back and low key. It is. Uh, I enjoy that. Anyway, so how long were you at the state attorney's office, sir?
1: I was there in 1990 to 1991 and I was just looking for, I wanted to come work in Tampa because I was commuting every day. Yeah. So had an interesting, um, uh, my dad is a periodontist. One of his patients was judge Barbara Fleischer.
0: Okay. And so, um,
1: Uh, Judge Fleischer told my dad, have your son come visit me someday. So I did. I'm with her in her chambers, and she says, you know, Gary, I don't, like, write letters or recommendation, but I want to give you advice. And I said, you know, I've been applying at the state attorney's office in Hillsborough County, but I haven't gotten the job yet, and there was a recession. So Judge Fleischer said, what I will do is I'll at least call them up to see, you know, is there a possibility of you getting hired there right now because of the Economics and everything. So she picked up the phone and she hung it up and she said, Look, you're not going to get hired there right now. It's just, um, and she said, Have you ever thought about being a public defender? All right. And I said, You know, I've, I was a prose- uh, prosecutor intern in Gainesville, prosecutor now. That's kind of how I thought of myself. She said, You know, Gary, I think you would really enjoy being a public defender because you're actually representing clients. And she said, I happen to know that one of your dad's patients is Mrs. Lucky, the wife of Judge Lucky, Mm -hmm. the public defender. And you should have him call Mrs. Lucky and help you get in the door there. I said, that is not my dad's style. He he is never...
0: Not big on nepotism or calling in favors. He's not big
1: on that. And he's very reserved and all that kind of stuff. And she said, I'm going to order your dad (laughs) to do it. (laughs) So next thing I know, I'm at my parents' house on a Saturday. My dad and it wouldn't he, he would be calling Mrs. Lucky anyway just like he would call his other patients to check in on him but judge lucky answers the phone in his you know georgia southern georgia accent um, and my dad goes may i speak with mrs lucky and i could hear it through the phone judge lucky say martha mm-hmm. dr Dalton's on the mm-hmm. phone mm-hmm. a few days later i'm in the public defender's office judge lucky says you know your father is a wonderful man he's been a wonderful dentist to my wife i want to know Are you going to be a wonderful attorney in this office and work hard for your clients? I said, yes, sir. He said, you're hired. And um, Judge Fleischer said to me, Gary, I only expect one thing of you. You need to be prepared when you walk into my courtroom and you represent your client the best that you can. You may not win all of your cases. Heck, when you're representing a criminal defendant, they may be found guilty and I may give them a tough sentence, but I want you advocating for them. And uh, that's all I expect of you. And so I always, always remembered that, that that she said that. Always been very. How efficient. long did you do the public defender? I was there from ninety one to ninety three. Okay. And what was? How did you like
0: it compared to the state attorney's office? I
1: enjoyed being a um, public defender more for a couple of reasons. One, because I was the underdog. So if yeah. I won, I felt like a hero. hero. If you lost, and it was what was probably yeah, going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I helped um, Judge Coe. Um, worked on his campaign to help sure. him get elected state attorney. Judge Coe was uh, who was one of the first people to inspire me to run for judge. Um, he came to my American History High School class at Plant High School, Miss Simpson's class, and um, he was he used to be the number one ranked tennis player in the city of Tampa. Oh, wow. He also was a minor league baseball pitcher and gave up a home run to Hank Aaron. So um, he knew me from the Davis Island tennis courts and so we set up a tennis game after he came to class and I continued to play tennis with him the rest of his life oh wow and so I wanted when I heard he was gonna run for state attorney I was like one of the first people in his campaign he won by 13 votes and um, he didn't have the budget to immediately hire me because a bunch of Bill James was the state attorney before his senior people had like a crude vacation time of, of six months so he didn't have the budget to hire everyone that he wanted to. But six months into, uh, so I decided to open up my own practice. And six months into his term as state attorney, he offered me a position. I said, Judge, I r- really am honored, but I just, I went out and opened up my own practice, and I can't The money's back. too good. <laughs> well, Not that that's it, but I the, the, mean, it's the, kind of it. <laughs> uh uh, you know, you struggle the first couple months, sure. but frankly, I made more in my first month than I ever made in the public defender's I office. I had the
0: same experience when I left and, the state attorney's office. So,
1: so Judge Coe swore me into the bar, and, um, and then uh, I remember as a young lawyer, he let me sit up on the bench with him. Right? Oh, wow. And so all these like, older attorneys are wondering, who's that young kid up there? And I really, I, I thought to myself, this is a nice view um, uh, from here. But when we would play tennis, he would talk to me about being a judge. Right. And I was in junior achievement in high school for the Tampa Tribune. And he was one of the people that I interviewed. And it, I also interviewed Ray Knight, who was the third baseman who, for the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. Um, but it was Judge Co told me about playing professional baseball. I said, Judge, why did you become a, why, why did you, uh, become a lawyer instead of playing, trying to play major league baseball. He said, "Well, back in those days, lawyers made more money than right. baseball yeah. players." Um, so, just a really, um, uh, he inspired me, and then also Justice Sandra Day O'Connor inspired me when I was a college student at Emory. Again, I was a, a journalist, and so I covered her trip when she came to speak at Emory Law School. She invited me to come visit her in her chambers in Washington. Oh, wow! So the following summer. I went and visited her, and I was going to do another interview with her. And so um, after the interview, we talked about how I wanted to go to law school and, and maybe be a judge one day, and she encouraged me. She told me the story of how she graduated number two at Stanford Law School and Justice Rehnquist graduated number one. Oh, wow. He got every job offer he wanted. She did not get a single job offer because back in those well, days. the woman, um, and, yeah. Yes, and so she said, again, this is a constant... Uh, piece of advice in my life. You know, Gary, a door may close on you, but don't give up on your ambitions. And then she smiled and she said, I bet you those law firms wish they'd given me right, yeah, firm, um, back then. And so I would see her throughout the years, like at an ABA conference or something, and she'd say, Gary, I see they've let you out in the real world. And the last time that I had some contact with, with her was in 2009. Um, because I wanted my kids to meet her, because um, I was going to be up in Washington being sworn into, actually I got sworn into the U.S. Supreme Court in '08, but I was going to be up there again in '09. and her assistant said to me, by coincidence, Judge, Justice O'Connor is going to be addressing the Florida legislature while you're in Washington, but she has left uh, uh, instructions that, um, to uh, give your kids a tour. And to come back into her private chambers, and we can, and they can see what her chambers look like, and you know, she has all these pictures up there with, you know, Ronald Reagan who appointed her, and all of the presidents that she had been a justice under, and her fellow justices. I mean, just to see um, that history, and um, so she inspired me.
0: Um, That's great, well. and your kids have just been so lucky to meet a lot of these icons in the world and your heroes. Um, now, when you left the state attorney—I'm sorry—when you left the public defender's office uh, and went out on your own, were you solely doing family law, or were you doing some criminal defense? No, or? I was um,
1: initially. I was only doing
0: criminal defense because that's what I knew.
1: But I learned, lo- and I—I I wrote an article for the lawyer magazine for the bar association, and I think the headline was um, "No Runs, No Hits, No Clients." I—I li- I had zero clients, um, you know, because. When you come from the public defender's office, it's not like anyone uh, can, can afford to um, uh, uh, pay. Yeah, you're not getting uh, any of those clients. And so um, my very first client, I still remember, it was a driving with a suspended license and, an, and I believe a worthless check with a capius. Arnold Levine referred him to me. I had clerked for Arnold Levine. He just passed away. He just passed away a few weeks ago. Yeah. I, I clerked for him in 1988. Um, he was a friend of my um, parents'. Uh, and he played tennis, and, um, uh, so... As a character. Yeah. He, uh, and, uh, you worked... He had the most interesting cases. He was always on the front page of the, of the paper. He represented Denny McLean the summer I was there, so the Cy Young Award winner, right, yeah. who won 31 games in 1968. So Denny McLean gave me an autograph ball that said, hope you pitch a perfect game. Oh, wow. Um, he had tax problems. <laughs> and, um, and not divulging anything confidential, that was in public and federal court. And that summer also, the firm, uh, the other partners were Richard Levine and Steve Siegel, and now Judge Stephen Northcutt of the Second District Court of Appeal. Ellen
0: Ware's husband, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, And... Um, so Hirsch and Siegel were representing Vilma Brown, the mother of Melvin Hare, the young African American man who died as a result of a chokehold, which led to riots in 1987 in Tampa. And the case was tried in federal court three weeks, um, and the the defense verdict. It's so hard to win those, it's hard to win that type of case in 1987. From what I understand, it's still hard to it's win. Hard to win them today, yeah. Um, today but you know history uh, kind of repeats, repeats itself and we've had you don't learn from it uh, and so but that was an eye-opener to be involved in in that type of uh, case I was responsible for going and picking up the mother Miss Brown every day oh wow and what what it you know an exposure to uh, um, a case like that but I remember Arnold Levine calling up and saying Gary you can do as good of a job as me for um, a lot lower fee Um, uh, good luck and that was my very first case but I learned that um, criminal law would not be enough to support me financially because most criminal uh, people charged with criminal cases in Florida or general in the U.S. can't afford to hire a private well, not player. only
0: that, but you, your competition across the street is free, you know, That's, with the public defender. That, so, that, 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 that is correct. You know, imagine in family law, if there was a public defender, you know, the fee structures in family law cases would be dramatically different yes. from what they are.
1: So I, um, I remembered, I thought to myself, well, what other area can I practice? And I really enjoyed family law and law school. And so I started taking some family law cases from lawyer referral service. And then I met Steve Sessoms, who's um, uh, just an icon in family law. He is was, that Mark's dad? That's Mark's dad. Okay. Um, and uh, happy to have uh, Mark's endorsement. He's now,
0: I always the, get this, sorry to cut you off, I always get this confused. There's Sessoms Black Caballero, and then there's Mark Sessoms. Who's the Sessoms at Sessoms Black? Steve, Steve Sessoms. That's the dad? Mark. The dad. Okay, and the then dad. the son is on Mark. his own over there on West Shore or something. Yes, yes. Okay.
1: And so I met Steve Sessoms at a family law um, uh, event. And um, uh, he kind of became a mentor to me, started referring me um, cases, including um, a case that he had like from the 1970s. And again, he said, Gary, my hourly rate is a lot higher than yours. Can you help my former client out? It was interesting because there was a marital settlement agreement uh, that dealt with college tuition um, when the child was two and a half years old. And the agreement was not... Uh, it, it said basically that the that the father that the parents would contribute to the child's college education um, in according to their respective incomes, but it didn't say how much, all that kind of stuff. And so, when high school graduation came, the father said, "I'm done." And so um, we ended up having a, a trial. Of course, the daughter went to Johns Hopkins, so it was pretty expensive Expensive, tuition. yeah. And, um, Even if
0: you've got the, the lower ratio of a pro rata share, you're still kicking out some big yeah. bucks there.
1: So my client, the mom, struggled like heck to put her through Johns Hopkins. So this was after she graduated from graduate school. She wanted to get this money back, while the husband every year was contributing to his SEP IRA. So he had the money in his SEP IRA, and um, so Judge uh, Greco was the judge, and he found that s- he agreed with my argument since the husband made 62% of the income, and my client made 38%, that he would be responsible for 62% of, of the um, cost, uh, cost tuition. and plus having to pay um, 50% of my attorney's fees. Um, and um, so the father appealed, and his appellate lawyer was Richard Weiss, who's now oh, sure. Court judge and Richard Weiss is a wonderful appellate lawyer. And, He's
0: uh, he you know uh, and
1: board certified in family law. He is? And appellate law. Yeah, well, so
0: opinion. I my first experience with him was when he was a general magistrate and uh, you know there's kind of this feeling in the family law community about you know having your cases in front of the general magistrate and, as opposed to the whichever judge's circuit it was in. And normally, it, whenever able, if I could object to the matter going in front of the general magistrate and keeping it in front of the judge, I would. But when it was Weiss, I would say, hey, let's let's go with him. Not because I felt like he was a a, a pocket vote, but because I knew he was going to get it right. You exactly know exactly right. Yeah, and so
1: I have the same opinion as as, as, as you on that. And um, you know, when I saw his brief, I was like worried. Um, but we we won and got a written opinion from the second DCA and Richard said to me you know that's the only appeal i ever lost i said well richard i was the appellee so i had i had the advantage but that was one of the first cases that Steve Sessons referred to me. Fraser Himes was someone else who was with Holland and I at at the time who was very nice to me and, and referred me cases. So I built up a family law practice and then Joe Hood encouraged a board certified Maryland family lawyer, encouraged me to become board certified, and he was so nice that he would have like study sessions with me and um and uh, uh, my friend, the late Ted Millison who who, who uh, studied to become board certified as well, Joe is just so great at wanting to help colleagues. Um, um, and so I became board certified in 2000.
0: I want to do it. I've thought about it. I started to get ready and go through the process. It's Not quite as involved as what you have to do for a judge, but you still have to. It's quite a quite a volume of paperwork. A lot of study. And when I the first year that I wanted to do it is when we ended up getting pregnant and having my daughter Stella mm-hmm. and I just knew there was no way I could be the type of father that I wanted to be you know be the income earner for the family and 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 devote the time needed to that test because for those of you who don't know there's people who practice family law but then board certification you're recognized by the state bar effectively as an expert in that area and the test for those that have taken it will probably tell you it's way harder than the bar just to become an attorney and it's not uncommon for people to take it multiple multiple times to uh before they pass it if they ever do i mean the passage rate is very low so it's kind of something that i want to do but if i do it i kind of want to get it right the first time and so finding a space in my life to give it the respect it deserves you know that's that's a concern of mine. But did you? And you don't have to say if you. How many times did you did you take it?
1: I was lucky to pass it on the first. Oh, time, that's quite but, an accomplishment. Uh, and I was never like the, the best test taker in in you know on standardized tests. My like when I took the LSAT the first time, I had um, a, a lower score than I wanted. So then I um, I took it again and I did much better. And the reason I did much better is I said I am focusing on this and I, and, and I did, did much better. I took Stanley Kaplan. I actually got to, um, uh, by chance, meet Stanley Kaplan. Oh, wow. And uh, the day after I took the LSAT, I went up to New York and met the guys who were on the interview tapes. Stanley Kaplan lived in the same complex as a cousin of mine, just by chance. And so when he... Um, he didn't know a lot of people at the party that I was at, but when he heard I was one of his customers, he just wanted to grill me to get my experience. So it was yeah. he ended up selling Kaplan to the Washington Post for $35 million. But uh, I know I've that, that diverged a little bit, but I encourage you to seek board certification. Um, when I, in the year 2000, my twins were two and a half. Um, and so it wasn't easy, but I took two weeks. To study away from my practice, and that's after you have a peer review where you're you're um, con- you're confidentially evaluated by lawyers who you've had cases with and judges who you've tried cases in front of, but you're right it was an essay exam in addition to you know multiple choice and short answer and the tough thing about it was you'd be asked to write like a final judgment from scratch yeah um, or or which I do
0: every day now. <laughs> well, but I, I, I get your point you're, you're making. used to
1: doing it on the computer and, ma- yeah, I'm, I actually, long longhand. longhand yeah. So not, you usually don't do that. I was one, of, I was one of six lawyers in the state that passed the exam, um, that year. So I'm very, very proud of that. And, you know, uh, in my race, I'm the only candidate that's achieved board certification. Only 7% of the lawyers in the state have achieved board certification. And, um, so it sets, it sets me apart. It does set
0: you apart, and it's something that I often have conversations uh, with people about as to why would I be doing it. Uh, and, and I'll say something controversial. I haven't found that having board certification has necessarily an impact on your abilities as a trial attorney. Definitely a much better grasp of the law, and if you're arguing a point of law to the judge and you're board certified versus an attorney who isn't, there's probably a much higher likelihood that the judge is going to uh, follow what it is that you're telling them because you're an authority to most judges are not board certified yeah. in family law. So I've not found necessarily that there's acumen in the trial setting. Definitely a much higher knowledge than the other part of it. Well, to a plus and a minus that I say, and I don't mean to make this a, a, a diatribe on board certification, but... You're able to charge more money, but I don't find that the market will necessarily bear what you're worth with that board certification. Has I, that I, been your experience?
1: I, I, I do agree with that. Um, uh, I don't think you're going to make more money because sure. of board certification, um, but I do think it gives you instant credibility with judges and opposing lawyers, and combining uh the board certification, with the fact that I'm the author of one of the chapters in the Florida Dissolution of Marriage CLE book on temporary relief, uh, that's relied upon by judges and other family lawyers, that gives you that gives <laughs> you credibility when, when when you when you walk into a courtroom. And clients do like when they hear that you're board certified. But um, uh, you're right; do not do it because you think I'll you're do it for make, financial uh, reasons. Do not do it for financial reasons. Um, uh, do it because of the pride that you have in your, in your uh, ability as a professional because the, the, what, what the bar talks about is that you're tested for professionalism and expertise. And, um, you know, my dad was one of the... He was, I think, the first board-certified periodontist, and he was the first periodontist in Tampa in 1966, and he was always so proud of that. And so um, when he heard about board certification that I could do that. He really encouraged me to do that. What What's interesting is that you know my brother's board certified as an MD, but my brother tells me most doctors are board certified.
0: It's uh, different uh, it's in the medical community yeah, than...
1: It's, it's different with, with, with lawyers, and the Bar created this program in the 1980s to give consumers a way to know that um, uh, you don't have to be board certified to be an excellent lawyer, but but a client will know if you if they are choosing a board certified lawyer that they're picking an expert in that area of the law.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a good point. Is is yeah, I I agree. I'm, I won't restate what you just stated, but I, I, I I agree with that proposition. Well, so anyway, we get into your practice. Have you ever had a partner, or have you always been a solo practitioner?
1: I have always been a solo practitioner, with the exception that um, Joe Hanlon, who was a board-certified family law attorney, when he decided he wanted to semi-retire... He's he, not related
0: to Will Hanlon, the attorney, is he? I don't, I don't okay. think
1: so. Um, Joe Hanlon became of counsel to my firm for a couple of years, and now he's fully retired, um, but um, uh, he did not want to have his own practice anymore, wanted to work part-time, and so uh, uh, he was of counsel for, for a few years. But I have enjoyed solo practice being my own own boss and that's one of the things I think um, will prepare you for being a circuit court judge is that the setup is similar very similar you. yeah it's you in the judicial assistant. And although as a judge you've got some staff attorneys who can help you with 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 research um, and this and uh, but you know you as a solo practitioner and and and, and you know because you, you're doing this work you got to stay on top of your caseload uh, and be efficient with your time. Wear you're a lot have, of hats, yeah. And you're going to have to do the same thing uh, as far as staying on top of everything, staying on top of a docket as a judge.
0: So I don't know that I was aware of you or knew you prior to us uh, going to La Havre to uh, teach, I guess, over there. La Havre, France. La Havre, France. campus
1: sister city.
0: Right, which was such an amazing trip, uh, such a beautiful city. We met a lot of amazing people. And for those of you who aren't up on geography in France. Le Havre is effectively Normandy, or at least close That's enough right. there, too, to kind of be the same thing. And, uh, you know, I remember the first few days, I thought, I think we got to kind of hang out before we were actually uh, teaching. And uh, one of the things that I always has stuck with me is because of the bombing and the reconstruction of that city, that it's one of the only cities that I can think of that... Was effectively built by a single person. The 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 architecture, the all of, there's a very uniform look to the city. It's you know, in Florida, you have this building, that building, the other building. New York City, all that. You know, this one's you know Art Deco. This one's more whatever. But in in La Hague, because the city was pretty much bombed out, I guess in the what late 30s, early 40s. In in
1: in the 40s, but some some things survive, So you you have some of the little sprouts old, of old. Have, you, uh, I believe, weren't we in a church that had survived? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you have 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 the uh, uh, new parts. But did you did you go with us to, um, to to the Normandy Beach?
0: We went to the Normandy Beach. I don't know if they went with you. Uh, we were lucky enough to be with uh, a couple, um, uh, the Diffuse, who we love and still see to this day. And 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 luckily, they uh, enjoyed. Taking us to bars, too, so we spent a lot of time in French bars. but yes, we did get to go to the beach, and that was just
1: i think I think you went with all of us, and then you guys had to leave uh, the following day and you went to Paris. That's right. and um, and they they gave us the honor of uh, taking down the American flag when when we were there and And what sticks with me is when you look at the beach and see how hard it was, these young men who were coming in and one of those young men that came in was our congressman sam gibbons yeah um who's uh who passed away uh uh who's passed away for several years monsignor
0: now. gibbons is the monsignor of pinellas county and the over at saint paul's church where i grew up so I'm, where my family was pretty close with the gibbons family
1: and so and and we were able to see where the german soldiers were hiding hiding out and, and um and then, when you're in a cemetery and you see all the uh, the crosses and the Jewish stars, and you just see how many people, and you just look at some of the, um, the the names and see how young they were
0: um, it's it just it's it, tangible you yes. you could feel it uh, i I agree with you and it's funny I, I was telling you before the show uh, that we got to see the diffuse again. We went to Scotland earlier this year, and it was a similar experience, not quite as immediate because obviously with Normandy it's American soldiers and Within the past century, uh, but in Scotland, you're walking around all these castles where these massive battles were fought, and you could see where the executioners, you know, did what they did, and the, the dungeons where people were kept. And it's all right there in the form that it was. And so, you know, living in Tampa, Florida, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what our oldest relic is around here, but you go back so much further in the history and the things that happened there. There's, it, it's very inspirational in a weird way. Like, I could see living there and writing books or living in Scotland and writing books or, you know, having the motivation to create art because of the such a direct, you know, uh, attachment to the history there.
1: Well, just as you made friends with the family that hosted you, I was fortunate. I was housed with the deputy mayor of La Have and his wife was um, uh, basically third in charge in what would be their attorney general's office and they had a three-year-old son and so um uh, and of course they spoke broken english so communicating was challenging but we would have i guess our ipad with translation and i would teach their three-year-old some 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 english but after you and your wife left they had kind of like a state dinner that the mayor threw for us and that mayor is now the president of france wow believe it or not and um and then, as you recall, the next year they came to visit us in Tampa, right, right. and we housed them. So the deputy mayor stayed in my daughter's room, decorated with pink paint. Um, but it was such a pleasure to be able to show him around Tampa. He even wanted to come to my son's little league practice, and he threw batting practice. And he accidentally beamed my son. Awesome. Pitching. My this son... isn't
0: Macron. This is the no. no, no.
1: This is the deputy
0: mayor. Okay. Deputy... Okay. Macron
1: <laughs> is the prime minister. Of okay. France, the president of France. Um, and the name is uh, that's okay. Uh, Eduardo is his first okay. is his first name, but he was the mayor of La Havre. And you never know where someone's going going to end up. And I gave him my uh, my Rotary flag from here downtown Rotary Club because he was a Rotarian. But so the deputy mayor of France, who's now going to be the president of the French Bar Association, comes and stays with us. Is pitching baseball practice to my son. Accidentally beans him. My son falls on the ground, crying a little bit. And I he came over and comforted him. He goes, "I hope I didn't cause an international incident, incident by, yeah. <laughs> by by doing that." But just you, you and I are just so fortunate to develop that that friendship. And then last year, I took my kids to Paris for spring break, and we took the train to La Havre. They picked us up at the train station, spent the day with each other, took us over to the. Um, uh, I met with the vice president of the region, right, and then. Um, we went over to the Bar Association where we had that party, and they have the plaque from the Hillsborough County Bar Association That's cool. hanging up there.
0: That's cool. Yeah, so before that before that whole you know adventure, I had never met you or known you. Since then, I've been thinking back. I know I've had one case against you, and I inherited a case post-judgment that you were involved in. And the, I, I say that to say this is— you are good with nuance. You get the deep dive on minutiae and family law. You know, most people can, you know, get through their practice understanding 75 to 80% of it. Uh, and th- then there's that additional part, which sometimes maybe are board-certified attorneys. Other times maybe just people who are, are, are interested enough in the law to really kind of get into, you know, these things, but that's that's kind of been your trade in my experience you're kind of the guy on issues that maybe not everybody else has dealt with. Uh so uh, you know, getting towards the end of this interview now, one of the things that I've traditionally done with the nominees is talk to them about, you know, what I feel are uh some of the more important characteristics or traits for a judge and then kind of get through them on your opinion. I'm gonna kind of shortcut that just a little bit because one of the ones that I spend a lot of time with is temperament. And knowing you as I do, I'm not concerned at all for your temperament. You, you know, you're one of the more even-keeled, soft-spoken kind of uh, academic people that I've had the opportunity to uh, work against, work with. Um, so, uh, you know, but you may not end up... I, now, I know generally they like to try and put the new judges in family law. I think it was actually one of your opponents, Greg Green, who told me, that the thinking there is to not saddle a new judge with having to deal with the jury right off the bat. That's correct. Because there's some additional kind of considerations that come along with picking juries, managing juries. So as a, a way to kind of smoothly transition you in. But I mean, obviously, have you? I would have to imagine you would like to sit on the family bench if, if given the opportunity.
1: Well, yes. And what's interesting about that, because people say sometimes people say, "Well, how would you know that you would be assigned there?" And my answer is. I wouldn't be assigned there because it's my first choice. I would be assigned there because it's everybody else's last choice.
0: Well, that's true. But also, I think probably where a lot of people might be afraid of the family bench because they don't have that background, you you wouldn't be. I mean, obviously, Greg's been doing it for 20 years, too. uh, But, uh, you know, so there's that. But again, getting back, my thing has always been temperament. You can learn the law, um, manage a courtroom, but this is you know, next to someone's liberty, their family and their finances are, you know, you're playing with super big chips. And not to say that your decision's necessarily going to go in your favor, but to couple that decision with a brash way of handing it down, it just, I've seen that. And it just really drives me nuts because, you know, you're, you're in such a position of power. And so one of the big things with judges that I always kind of, fixate on is the ego. Is it? Are, are you doing it to serve ego or are you doing it as a public service? And I know the answer that everybody gives me is I'm doing it because of public service, but I can tell you through experience that just judges that I've been in front of, it was very much for their ego. So, uh, I, I don't know, do you have any comments on that as, as far as it relates to your campaign? Or? You know,
1: we've all seen good judges, we've all seen not so good judges. What I really like and what I m- will endeavor as a judge. I really like uh, when a judge comes out for a case, uh, the first thing that they're doing is putting everyone at ease. It's a stressful situation for for the uh, clients, and you know, uh, as lawyers, we try and prepare our clients for what it's gonna be like in the courtroom. But you know what? I'm, I'm sure you're like me. You're stressed too, because you wanna do the oh, best for I'm your I'm client.
0: I'm the biggest stress ball you'll probably ever come <laughs> across. And but, yeah. no
1: matter how many trials we have, I still have butterflies when I go into a courtroom. So what I really like is when the judge comes out and puts everyone at ease, maybe breaks the tension um, a little bit. And also, of course, uh, uh, you can tell that they've reviewed the file when they start you know, saying, well, I'm aware of these facts are this and that, and the issues that we're here on are A and B. And it just puts everyone... Um, not one time i had re- recently had a had a relocation case and um you know i've got the board certification cle book um that has all the factors right. for relocation i was so happy when the judge came out and he was carrying that board Same certification book. book and the first thing he said before any of us spoke was um i have reviewed all of the factors that i have to consider in relocation and counsel would would you agree that's that your your presentation today is going to focus on these factors i was just so happy about that because i had sent him some case law and and uh, and a summary of how the factors favored my client and so i those felt those are like, tough cases i felt like i had won the case before it started because i had sent that case law to the judge the other side had not, and so you are so right with regard to to uh, temperament. The the thing that you know when a judge makes a get decision, a little bit closer to the mic. Just when a judge makes a decision in family law, there's going to at least be one person who's mm-hmm. going to be unhappy, and many times both people will be unhappy. But I have found in my experience that if a judge promptly rules and explains the reasoning of the ruling, complements. The the lawyers and the and, and the litigants, if the litigants have behaved appropriately in the in the in the courtroom, um, that if a party understands the reason for the decision and hears it from the judge, it will promote confidence in our judicial system, which is which is so important. What I don't like is when a judge, at the conclusion of a trial, says, "Okay, I want counsels to submit written closing arguments, and then I'll decide." And like 13 months later, months go by, and these people need to move on with their lives. I've had
0: relocation cases where a certain judge who's not in the family law bench anymore took about a year and a half to get that final judgment. It's It's like we have to relitigate the case now. It's
1: it's crazy. And one of the advantages that I would have as a board certified expert in marital and family law, in most of the cases, um, I believe I would be able to make a ruling real time. Real time. And if there was something complicated financially, what I would do is say, okay. I need to work on these numbers here and get my factual findings together, but um, I want you back here one week from today, and I'm going to put my ruling on the record Um, because I have just seen so many cases where they take forever and ever. Mm -hmm. And so that's the advantage that that, that I would have. You not only need a temperament, a good temperament as a judge, but you need to rule properly. You need to run your courtroom. That's exactly right. Yeah.
0: Well, so as we're wrapping up, I, you, you kind of touched on it here, but anything you'd like the listeners to hear about why you feel you're uniquely qualified for this position?
1: Well, what separates me apart from uh, the other candidates in my race is that I've been practicing law longer, at 30 years, so I have more experience. I'm the only candidate who's achieved board certification in any area of the law. I'm the only candidate that's been designated as a super lawyer, and only 5% of the lawyers in Florida achieve that uh, distinction. I've run a successful solo law practice for 27 years, longer than either of my opponents have been practicing law. I've had the experience of being both a prosecutor and a public defender, which I don't believe that my uh, opponents have had both of those uh, uh, experiences. I'm the only one that's a Florida Supreme Court certified family mediator, so I've had the opportunity to help people resolve their disputes. I am also a volunteer Fee Arbitrator for the Florida Bar. It's a free program where lawyers and clients, they have a fee dispute. It's uh, signed to me by the Florida Bar, and I make a ruling, and they, and they stick by uh, the ruling. I'm the only one that's a published author, as I talked about before, chapter six of, of, of temporary relief, uh, uh, relied upon by judges and lawyers. i very proud of my community service as well. One of the things that I do with Bay Area Legal Services is I'm a mentor to lawyers who don't practice in the area of family law because there's such a need for people out there who need pro bono family law representation. And so uh, a lawyer who doesn't practice in family law will call me, will go to lunch, I'll go over the file with them, I'll get them up to speed, and I feel like it's spreading the, um, spreading the uh, knowledge sure. so that we, we can help people. And I feel like I'm paying back uh, because so many people like Steve Sessions, Fraser Himes, and Joe Hood helped me. So I always am happy to help young lawyers. I'm in the Rotary Club where I'm a Paul Harris uh, uh, Fellow. Um, in the past, I've volunteered at the Child Abuse Council where men, who, helping men get their parental rights um, back. And uh, you know, I was a Little League coach when my kids were playing Little League. My wife and I, before we had kids, were uh, advisors for the junior youth group at our congregation. Um, so I've really enjoyed the opportunity to be involved in this community. I've been here since I was two years old. I'm proud of my family. All, all My brother and sister came back here. They're professionals. All of us raised our, our kids here. Um, been married 30 years. Proud of my parents. My dad is unfortunately no longer with us. But my mother at 85 years old. Um, she had a lot of judges and lawyers as students at Plant High School. Oh, wow. And so... Uh, um, I'm remembering Judge Estrick. She was a straight-A student in my mom's yeah, class, wow. uh, and uh, so uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to interview me t- today. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with your, your, your listeners. Um, it would be an honor to serve this community as a circuit court judge. I've had the f- opportunity to uh, impact the lives of my clients, and, uh, and as a judge, you have the opportunity to have an impact on lives every single day. And that's what I hope to do and to serve uh, this community with honor and distinction and uh, and with everyone's vote. I ask for everyone's vote for circuit court judge. Election's August 18th.
0: Mail-in and, ballots uh, are coming out mail-in soon. Mail-in
1: ballots, I think, are getting mailed out July 9th. Right. and uh, uh,
0: That's going to be uh, big this time with the COVID, I think.
1: It is. You're going to have the majority of people voting by mail. Uh, and not wanting to go to the polling the county site center, polling the, sites yeah. on the on the uh, 18th. So everyone stay safe during these unprecedented times. Thank you for taking the time, and please remember to vote, Gary. Yes, state court judge.
0: And, and and real quick, where can they find you online? Do you have a website yes. for your campaign? Do you have a social media yes. page?
1: Website is garydalgin.com. I have a Facebook page, Gary Dalgin for Judge. And and what? T- one more time, what group? group 31, which is a countywide race. And just to educate your your listeners, the group number doesn't mean like a certain district. All judges run countywide. It's just that there's 45 circuit court judges. And so this just happens to be number, number 31.
0: Sure. Thank you so much, Gary, for coming in. It was a pleasure talking. Thank you. Appreciate it.